Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlotnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back Whitney Sewell. Hi, Whitney. Hey, Mike. Pleasure to be here again. I love your accent. The Southern accent. You, you're back and you, you talk with a warm Southern accent. How are you? How's the world been treating you? Yeah, it's good. It's been been very good. Uh, family's good. Business is growing, and uh, projects are doing very well. Uh, we we cannot complain. That thank God. That's great to hear. Yeah. So, what's new? You launched the fund. I I uh, I remember receiving an email or a couple of them, and uh, so I'll let you, without further ado, introduce your own fund and talk a little bit about what has the fund done so far. Yeah, you know it's it's still very new, and it actually it's it's a it's a closed ended fund, which you're probably going to ask. It will not be open forever, but uh, that, that wasn't our goal. Uh, we we had done 506B deals, you know, projects all up to this point, and and so this is actually a 506C fund, uh, and so this fund though is doing the same types of projects that we've been doing, you know, up to this point. It's a value add multifamily, usually late 70s, early 80s vintage uh, multifamily, uh, and then. Uh, with uh, we have uh, pr- approximately like 10 to 15 percent of the fund will be development and, and we're, we have three development projects going on right now and the fund will actually own a, a very small portion of, of one of those and uh, just to, uh, to give a, a different flavor there a different asset class uh, in in the fund as well with the value add deals and so that that project we actually closed our first deal in the fund about two weeks ago. And that was a smaller portfolio, about 140 units or so. Uh, and then we actually already own the land on the development piece. And, and, and that will we'll be breaking ground on that very soon. Uh, and then we have two more projects under contract right now as well. That's uh, all these projects are in Colorado and Idaho. Uh, just so you know, that's our, our markets. That's where we are focused the most. And um, but yeah, that's the types of deals that we're focused on. Those two projects uh, we're hoping to close mid-December. Congratulations. That's awesome to hear. Uh, why Colorado and Idaho? I know Colorado is the most beautiful state in the country. The mountains are just um, breathtaking. But uh, is there any other reason why Colorado and Idaho? Yeah, you know, early on or a few years back when my, I met my business partner, he actually lived in Denver. And so he had some connections there. And that helped us, you know, start gaining, building some traction in, in Colorado, specifically Colorado Springs. And we, we made some great connections through a property management company there that we've, we've uh, just made good friends with, really. Uh, they've been great partners. Uh, but then, you know, as we closed a few projects there, right, we started to see more and more deals, more brokers knew we could close. Uh, and the traction just begin, continued to grow there. Uh, but it's also a great market. I mean, Colorado Springs specifically has been uh, a great market. I mean, it's had a, just continual growth for like 100 years. I mean, it's just been very steady. And, and so we like the market and, and we just gained more and more traction there. Uh, but then also we got into Boise. We had some connections there as well. Uh, we closed a class A project there. So our first project there was a year ago this past August, 172 units. Uh, and that project alone is already surpassing our third year projections. Uh, and so that market also has just been exploding. I think it, like the first few months of this year, there were like 11 vacant units in the entire market. Uh, it just 
madness uh, how the fast it is growing there. And so we, we love those markets. We already had a footprint there. And so we decided to buckle down there uh, in a big way and, and just continue to grow there. Uh, also, our investors have loved that we are in a different part of the country that are some, so that are also some good markets. Uh, so many of them are investing in projects, you know, in the Southeast with other operators. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of been in our favor that allows them to diversify in that way as well. Yeah, very cool. If you ask um, majority of folks that are looking for deals, you hear Midwest, Southeast, um, and Colorado. I don't know what is it called. It's I guess sort of west, but I, I don't know if it's it's sort of <laughs> southwest, sort of. Um, but uh, yeah, and Idaho is I guess it's Idaho is Midwest, sort of right. It's sort of in that I don't know, but it is a diversification for sure. Um, although I've heard other, other folks going into uh, Boise, it seems like a great market, like you said. So besides, obviously, building a strong footprint, and these are good growth markets, um, uh, what type of, I guess, assets are you looking for? A's, B's, uh, sort of going into C's, is that particular, or it's very opportunistic, whatever comes across at the right price, that's what you sort of invested. Yeah, you know, we have been focused on, I would say, a C plus type asset. Nothing where I'm afraid to walk down the street around the pro around the property. You know, nothing like that. And I would say these are C's because of the age. You know, on the projects typically, and not because they are in extreme disrepair. Most of these projects, or I would say, all of them are are stabilized. They're cash flowing from day one, and so there's nothing that we have to vacate half the property or 100% of it, you know, to complete our business plan. They're usually, uh, you know, I mean, they're, like I said, they're cash flowing stabilized uh, as soon as we take them over. So we, we feel like that, that minimizes a lot of the risk as well. Yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, just a couple more words about your fund. So it's a closed-ended fund, just curious a little bit about the structure. Um, how does the fund structure? Do you pay a PRAF or a split? Uh, do you have asset acquisition fee? Just, just curious how, how you structured the fund. Yeah, so it's a 7% PREF, uh, obviously annualized. Uh, and then we actually did a an equity multiple this time versus an IRR. And so so it's a 3x equity multiple, a 7 to 10-year fund. We're, we're uh, leaning more towards 7 years, if at all possible, but all documentation will say 10 years, but that's mostly just for as much flexibility as possible as well. So it's a uh, 3x uh, multiple over seven to 10 years. I don't know what IRR comes, uh, comes out to be, uh, but is there a split? Um, do you have, so it's seven? Yeah, so it'd, be, it'd go from 70, 30 to 50, 50 once we reach that, that 3x equity multiple. So it's 70, 30 until you, you reach 3x equity multiple and then 50, 50. That's right. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's different. And it's a growth fund because you said you're taking in ground up projects, some value adds. So your PREF is going to be cumulative, but unlikely to be distributed from the day one, right? It's going to be at some point in a few years when you get some projects through the life cycle. Right. So majority of the projects or 90% of what's in the fund will be value add, will already be cash flowing. Uh, so we'll start distributions at the beginning of, of the year. So actually in January, uh, you know, but obviously that those will accumulate as far as, you know, if we're paying a a uh, 4% the first few months or, you know, until all the projects are in the fund and closed and that, you know, and especially the, the one development piece. And like I said, that's a very small portion. Majority of the deals will be cash flowing, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a value add, but it's not heavy value add. It's not repositioning. Yeah, that's right. Incremental. So you can actually have some cash flow. That's right. Yeah. That makes total sense. Uh, what's the size of the fund? How much are you trying to raise? We'll raise about 25 million 
And actually, we may cut it off before that, depending on, on deal flow. Uh, and so our goal was to, for the for the fund to only be open for a few months. And, and we probably have enough projects in under contract right now to to use all the funds. Uh, and so we depending unless another deal comes in pretty quick, we may go ahead and end it actually a little early. Let me ask you the tough question. You may have enough projects, but do you have enough uh, investors coming in into the fund uh, in a short amount of time to be able to fund all these projects? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like we, we wouldn't end it early if we didn't have enough funds in there now. Uh, and so we, you know, we we have enough funds now for the projects that we have. Uh, so I mean, unless we have another deal pretty soon, uh, we'll go ahead and probably close it. Uh, we do. We don't want to leave it open past the end of the year either way. Uh, the fund, but uh, but we'll we'll probably go ahead and close it pretty soon. Like I said, unless we get another deal under contract pretty soon, just uh, so that way we can allocate all the funds as fast as possible as well. Yeah, that's great. So if you were you basically went from zero to twenty five million in pledges in how many months? I mean that's that's a. I mean, majority of that was within the first couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, something like that, around twenty million or so, roughly. Uh, uh, and so we'll, like I said, we may leave it open and get closer to twenty five million, but we're around twenty right now. And but most of that happens, you know, within the first few weeks, uh, and then there's still obviously more investors trickling in. But like I said, we'll we'll probably close it pretty soon. That's great. That's really impressive from from the capital raising perspective. Essentially, you promoting seven to ten year fund, which is pretty long time horizon, and a lot of people are not crazy about the lack of liquidity. And obviously, you're pretty open about the fact that there is no liquidity. You park the money in the fund, and it's going to be seven to ten years. So it 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 just means people really like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we will do some refis and things like that that will provide liquidity, you know, back to investors, you know, you know, over the life of the fund. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been a long road getting to that deal, uh, getting to that 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 place. You know, we can raise those kinds of funds and just the trust, you know, uh, uh, that it's taken, you know, to the time it's taken to gain that trust from our investors. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, a lot's happened, you know, in that time to make that happen. Uh, let's see, there's something else about the fund I was going to say, but I can't anyway. I can't remember at the moment. I'm sure you'll remember. Um, feel free to jump. So now let's shift the subject a little bit. Thank you for the introduction of the fund. And uh, what's the name of the fund? What's the, you know, first of all, at the end of the uh, discussion, we'll, we'll ask the question how the people can get uh, a hold of you, but let's answer, answer the question now. Say folks where, you know, wanted to ask a couple of questions about the fund and what's the name of the fund? Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, it's it's a very strategic name. It's called the Lifebridge Capital Fund One. <laughs> so, so Lifebridge Capital Fund One, obviously lifebridgecapital.com. You can learn about our current opportunities and see more details about the fund and get in touch where you can talk to me or somebody on our team to learn more about it. Yeah, that makes total sense. You <laughs> utilizing your, your primary brand, which is great. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the outlook. So uh, obviously, you're making the investments, and uh, you're pretty optimistic about these investments. Otherwise, you wouldn't be making them. Right. So, uh, what is your kind of outlook into the next year? Again, it, it's really difficult to project many years out. You can only do kind of your generic, you know, generic or general uh, trends. Which markets are good? Like you said, Colorado Springs uh, or Boise, Idaho. Based on the past ten years, what's the next ten years would look like? But year out, what are you seeing in the um, just general real estate? Are we still going to continue this inflationary environment? Rents are rising faster than before. 
uh, is this something that uh, is here to stay for a little bit longer or we are going to run out of steam once the government stops spending all these uh, dollars that inflation will come back to where it was around 2% a year versus where it is now? Yeah, well, I have all the answers. You know that, Mike, right? <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm optimistic, you know, especially for the next six to 12 months. After that, I'm not so sure, you know, I'm not sure how long I expect this to continue. Uh, but, but I really go back to basics uh, in how we're buying deals and, uh, you know, all the things that we all talk about often, you know, in how we buy projects, meaning, uh, you know, having adequate reserves, having long-term fixed rate debt, uh, you know, those things, cash flowing projects that help us. So when that happens, that we're prepared for it. And, you know, and I, I, there's a project that I often use an example. As an example, we purchased a project a week before they shut the country down last March. And in uh, 216 units, about 28 or $9 million project uh, class, or is like a C plus. And we had a million and a half dollars in a reserve budget from day one. And, and often there's other operators that invest with us. They were investing in that deal. And a couple operators who I respect in a big way, they were like, Whitney, don't you think that's kind of excessive? And I was like, uh, maybe, but I, I, we're going to sleep a lot better, you know, knowing that those funds are there. And, and so, don't you know, we, like I said, a week after closing, they shut the country down. Uh, and we were so thankful that we had the, those funds, right? The emergency budget uh, allocated. I mean, it was separate from CapEx and those things as well. Uh, and, and, and so thankfully we've not had to use those funds, but, and, and we've, we've not missed any distributions, any of those things, you know, through the pandemic, uh, but uh, steps like that help us to prepare for when, you know, that happens in the future. Uh, you know, but specifically I, I do, I'm, I'm optimistic about the next six to 12 months. And I feel like if you, you have some, uh, you know, strict buying guidelines, you know, where you're buying projects, like I said, that are hopefully are stabilized cash flowing, uh, that you're going to be just fine. Even our uh, development projects will be done within the next probably six to eight months. Uh, right. And so, so our goal obviously would have them, them to be leased up, you know, before, especially before 12 months out. Uh, Cause after that, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to expect. I don't think anybody do, uh, does know what to expect. However, we can, we can look back at what's happened, uh, you know, in previous years and, and make our best judgment, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, you can only foresee, I guess that, that it's, you know that, there are many opinions on this, but right. practically it's within one year, and especially political environment can change um, with the midterm elections. So that all that is going to be up in the air. Uh, but I completely buy, appreciate, uh, and love the fact that you uh, capitalize a project with extra cash. Uh, not a, not many, many sponsors do, honestly, for the reasons of if they want the IRRs to look prettier, uh, overcapitalizing and having a lot of cash um, typically dilutes the, the equity and it, it, it's not as exciting for investors. Right. But at the same time, it is, uh, it's a safety element. So if we're talking about what to do now, how do you build safety going forward and increasing cash is, is one of the safety elements. By the way, what other safety elements um, are you thinking about today? Obviously, cash flow from day one. Um, anything else you could sort of do to uh, reduce the risk, even on the new construction projects? The, the, one of the big risks today is the new construction is going to run into delays, uh, cost overruns. 
So that's why I asked the question and you said new construction. It's a wonderful, yeah. it's a wonderful opportunity if you can execute well. The challenge is supply chain is still a, a kind of substantially disrupted and um, we, we still hear a lot of you know continuous escalations of, of, of costs and, and it, it doesn't seem to be you know no no end uh, in the you know in the tunnel. <laughs> it's the yeah. it's the cost escalation tunnel and and um, uh, so how, how do you mitigate the risks associated with construction delays and cost overruns? Yeah, that's a great question and, and something we, we've talked about in detail or thought about. Uh, one way that we've done that is partnering with a developer who's extremely experienced in that market. Uh, and so, you know, we purchased, we actually purchased a project from a developer uh, a year or so ago and, and developed a relationship. Uh, and now we're, you know, we're going to buy projects from him or, you know, put them under contract early uh, and then when they're, and then ultimately close on them when, once they're finished. Uh, but one thing, one way around that is because he's, he's already, he's been in this market for 20 years developing projects and he's already allocated, uh, you know, a certain amount of materials. Uh, and so even if there's a shortage, a portion of that is already his. Uh, and so he can already count on a certain amount, right? Uh, and, and that goes through having a very detailed conversations with him about your specific projects, right? So, so I am not the developer. I make, try to make that very clear. I'm not the professional developer. However, I have to understand a lot about what's going on, of course, but but it's by continually growing that team of experts and even uh, experts inside that specific market, right? So uh, they understand the development piece better than I ever will. Uh, but that is, that's been one way to hedge against, uh, you know, any kind of uh, price increases, things like that is because he already ha and he already has most of these materials actually on hand. Uh, and so that was a big part of, you know, raising our comfort level to do a deal like that as well. Great comment. So really important question. Are you, buying the asset from the developer upon certificate of occupancy or you already bought the asset and they just you're using them as a general contractor um, on the asset where you eat the cost of a delay and overruns or does he eat the cost of it sounds like in this case the, the cost overruns and the time overruns is the developer's cost it's almost like you're, you're closing upon the certificate of occupancy that's a that's a great point that you just made so we have a couple of both of those right now but but that one specifically yes so so we put it under contract but we will not close in, until until it's occupied right you know until till we get the certificate of occupancy like you mentioned uh, and so therefore he is eating those costs and those expenses you know at the moment until it's complete yeah, that's a great strategy. I've actually uh, seen this strategy uh, a few times talking to a few folks that they want to buy a new product, but they want to remove the risk of construction. And the only way you can do it is you go on the contract prior to completion, uh, but you don't take the, uh, the asset until it is completed at that point, even beyond completed. It's completed and stabilized. So is the contract contingent upon the developer finishing obviously the property and receiving certain rental rates. He is, so it is. So we are, we're actually working pretty closely with his property management team. Uh, because they'll be handling most of the lease up, but we want to be very involved, you know, as we can, obviously, in that lease up process. Uh, and actually, you know, kind of joining our management team there, you know, uh, in connection with theirs uh, through that process. Uh, and so, but it is, it is, it is, it is contingent upon certain rental rates uh, that are, you know, current in the market uh, and then a certain level of occupancy as well. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, that, that approach is a, is a safer approach. You obviously wind up paying a little bit more for the asset, 
but you are taking it with lower level of risk. You know, you're buying it as if it was completely stabilized based on a pro forma, not taking the risk of construction, which is a substantial risk, as you can imagine. Uh, typically, the upside has to be a lot greater if you're pre-buying the, the property and you're carrying the development risk, which is a very different beast. So, yeah. Uh, makes sense. Uh, let's switch and talk a little bit about, um, um, uh, again, you mentioned the, the pre-COVID project uh, that you basically entered. How's the project doing? Just just curious, um, how are the rents are you seeing? What kind of rent increases are you seeing across all your projects? Just, just I mean, curious. We all know that it's been a substantial inflation. Some parts of the country uh, a lot higher than others. And it's been, you know, everything has been on fire, sort of. So just curious, uh, what, what, what's your observation on that project? Um, uh, what kind of numbers? Again, we've done similar things. We've entered into some deals just before COVID or even after the COVID hit. And the numbers are just staggering. <laughs> These IRRs are through the roof. It's almost like uh, if this continues, I mean, the numbers are not what you project. They, they, wind, they wind up, you know, a lot higher uh, than, yeah. so... Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It's been staggering to say the least. So that specific project, it will uh, actually we got an off-market offer on it already, and it's under contract to sell within a month, and it will be a two x equity multiple. What in eighteen months or something? Um, and so it's yeah, it's just staggering to say the least. It ended up being a, what a fifty or sixty percent RR. Yeah, it's funny. We have exactly almost identical situation. Uh, one, pro one project uh, literally on the contract for 2X plus in 18 months, which is 60% IRR if you run the, uh, the IRR formula. And yeah. another one, I think um, you, you, you've heard me speak about hotel to multifamily conversions. That's been another massive home runs. I mean, we had one that exited on last Friday with an IRR of like 140%. It's a 2.6 multiple in 13 months, something like that. <laughs> it's, wow. Yeah, so no. these deals are, um, it, it's, it's kind of funny where we're sitting here and what we're doing, uh, when you're gonna run the fund, you're gonna do a little bit of this uh, math and it, it's, it's not necessarily critical math, but it, it, it's a helpful forward outlook math, especially when you have a portfolio. Um, in, in a fund, so some of your deals do really well and you try to, basically project how the early deals are impacting the overall future performance, which is very hard because you don't know what the future performance is going to be. Right. But it's the mathematical exercise. Hey, we got 60% uh, IRR on this one. We got 140% on this one and so on. How is that impacting a, a fund? That's a fund manager's problem, right? You, you know how some assets are doing, some you don't know because they're too early in the cycle, but it, it, it's, it's helpful to, um, to do a little bit of that um kind of analysis um so i mean you'll you'll have that that problem when you build enough assets and you start seeing how these things are uh, performing so um any other quick commentary any other quick thoughts um what else is new in multifamily you talked to a lot of people you have a wonderful podcast so what other things you great ideas great thoughts you're hearing in multifamily i can tell you that what i'm hearing is everybody's just you know, not, not happy with the prices. Uh, the competitive deals are just flying off the shelves, people overbidding, uh, sort of momentum plays. And we've kind of looked at number of deals and I mean, it's getting a little crazy. You want to bid 24, 25 million, this thing flies off 26, 26 and a half. And even though 
you know, those numbers don't appear to be massively higher, but they're big enough to impact the IRR substantially. Um, and uh, are you still seeing very aggressive buying, uh, people competing, uh, especially on the market deals, just brutally competitive? Uh, yeah. Are you looking for any of the, any market deals or most of your stuff completely off market? I would say most of it's off market and, and some of this is all tied together there. Uh, you, know, you ask about, you know, what I'm seeing and some of that, I would say, yeah, even the project we were just talking about. So we closed that project and, and built a relationship right with that seller through just a smooth transaction, closing on time, doing what we said we were going to do, all those things. These are, we actually have two projects under contract right now with that same seller. Okay. And so uh, because they had worked with us before, they actually took a, a, even a less, you know, a lesser offer from us than what they had had uh, because of the relationship that we, we had had. So, so it was like, you know, they'd reached out to us and maybe one other group or something. Uh, and, and we had had a previous relationship with them. And so we, you know, they went with us. Uh, and so we're thankful for that relationship. But still, that was, you know, just time in the process, all right? Time in, in building those relationships. So even now we can get deals that, that work. Uh, outside of that, yes, uh, it's just extremely overheated. And it's, it's difficult, obviously, to find stuff that, that seems to make sense. I don't think any of us uh, know exactly what makes sense at the moment with some of the prices that people are willing to pay. Because uh, often, more times than not, we're just not, we're not comfortable, you know, paying as much as what so many people are, even like selling this project, like, you know, you can always second guess yourself, right? And say, well, what if I held it till the spring? Or what if I held it another year? Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to say, hey, if we can provide those returns that we projected to investors in 18 months, why would we not, you know, uh, and, and do right by our investors as fast as we can, uh, and what we know we can do right now. Uh, and, and so, but moving forward with new projects, you know, it still goes back to the same fundamentals that we said before. Can I provide a certain amount of return to our investors while still having, a, you know, fixed rate long-term debt and adequate reserves, those things, uh, you know, is a property going to cash flow? Even looking at like a break-even occupancy, I was going to mention that earlier, uh, you know, that project in Boise, uh, you know, it's, it's like a 48 to 50% break-even occupancy, like, like things like that, you know, and it's already surpassing th its third-year projections. So, I mean, we can move a lot on that, uh, you know, as far as coming down in rents and, and having adequate reserves, all those things, and even a higher, a high vacancy rate and still pay our bills, you know, on something like that. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, it's a stress testing. Uh, right. I just had another guest uh, on the podcast. He's actually uh, an REA and financial planner. And um, this is one of the concepts that we were chatting about in this uncertain environment with the high degree of uncertainty of what is going to happen in Congress over the next, you know, few days, weeks, hopefully not months and years. To wait. But uh, the only thing you can do is really stress test your portfolio, stress test your investments, and um, at least have the knowledge of um, what would happen if the these things change and how they you know how it stresses the, the investments and uh, obviously this is one huge unknown and uh, uh what's going to happen we're recording this you know middle of well second half of the october and we don't know when you know, it's going to come out in a little bit uh but if iras get impacted uh for uh any you know 506 anything b or c's they both require accreditation if they don't allow credit investors for IRAs to uh, participate, that will be a problem uh, for the entire community. Um, but uh, are you doing anything, are you thinking any creative ideas how to manage uh, if this were to happen? Um, 
especially if you got investors in your projects, your funds, is this impacting your marketing people getting a little kind of, uh, uh, you know, sitting with it on the hands, getting, getting, just wait and see what happens. Uh, or people don't care. They just take an action for now and then see what happens later. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and I don't have a great answer uh, other than, yes, we are trying to prepare for it or, or at least like think through and have some kind of process. Uh, our investors are definitely reaching out and, you know, or many have reached out and said, hey, you know, uh, what do you think about this? Or have you seen this? And I'm like, yes, yeah, so we've seen it. We are trying to prepare for that just in case it happens. Uh, what, what, I mean, what are our options? Even talking to our attorney or other operators too, you know, like how do you all plan to, uh, to rectify or to make this happen, you know, to get these investors out of these deals, uh, you know, in that short of notice. Uh, and I think depending on how the market goes, uh, you know, if they have, what is it? They may have 24 months or 18 to 24 months to get their funds out. Uh, oftentimes, you know, many projects, depending on how the market goes, may be closed or sold by then anyway, uh, you know, that you have, or, or a few will maybe, uh, but the ones that we're buying right now, uh, you know, they probably wouldn't be, right? Uh, most likely. So we would have to make a way to to buy those investors out, you know, and obviously we, we want to be good, uh, do good by um, the projected returns, things that they're owed, you know, but uh, but we we got to get their money out if that's what we're made to do. Yeah, that'll be an interesting uh, conversation. If you can take them out. Uh, <laughs> I spoke yeah. uh, another podcast guest, which was an interesting conversation. Uh, and he's gearing up to buy out some of these investors out of existing projects. Almost like this, if the problem hits, then the supply demand of the money, uh, if a lot of IRAs need to exit, so there's a lot of sales pressure and obviously it requires consent of the sponsor. But uh, the gentleman I spoke with, he, he said, listen, I might see some great opportunities. It may have to be a balancing act because you have to um, meet the, the demand. The, the alternative is, which is not basically a valid, valid idea, is um, distribution in the form of that asset, which is not you know, ideal, but right. that's, that's kind of the only solution if you can't get liquidity, right? Otherwise, the right. whole account becomes uh, no longer qualified account. So it's another. Yeah, so that may, that may cause some, some deals to be had as well. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, th th this whole, uh, from what, everything I heard is the Congress is just created them, you know, it's, it's a couple of aides to senators and, and uh, members of the House that have come up with this extreme version of it without really even the members understanding what they just put together, that it's it's not just one billionaire guy, Peter uh, Thiel, with a $5 billion um, uh, Roth IRA. It's just, it, it's almost like so... Uh, impactful on millions of small investors. So it, the problem they're trying to solve, uh, the solution is 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 maybe solving that one problem, but hurting a lot more people. So right, yeah. All right, uh, Whitney, I appreciate your wisdom. Uh, we kind of passed, uh, we're approaching the end of the of the great uh, podcast. Um, uh, any final thoughts? Any anything new? Any new book? Any new? Um, well, maybe you have a great episode on your podcast. Any anything interesting, and how would people get a hold of uh, of you? Yeah, I would encourage people to go and listen to show uh, show WS one thousand one thousand and one. 
And then it's 1007 and 1008. It's a four-part series that actually my wife and I did together uh, just about our process, our journey and getting into this business. You will learn a lot about me and my family and, and our real estate business and just our journey getting to where we're at. So I would encourage you to listen to those episodes and obviously go to the website you know, and sign up at lifebridgecapital.com. You can email me, Whitney, at lifebridgecapital.com, or you can call or text me, 540-585-4338. Well, that's wonderful. You shared your phone number. Hope the phone, I hope you, you know, you don't get too many phone calls because, uh, you you know, I don't, I don't give out my cell phone anymore. For that. I hope I get a bunch of calls. All right. Um, <laughs> Good luck with that. I appreciate you. Thank you for uh, your wisdom and uh, great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.